Once more, welcome to all of you today. It is great to be with you, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity that we have together to dive into God's Word. It really has been a fun start to the fall as we've been diving into God's wisdom with one another, and we're excited about what God is doing and what God is going to continue to do in the days ahead. And so as we get ready to share in God's Word, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Here is an easy question that we can all relate to and answer very, very quickly, probably without too much thought, and that is, what makes you angry? Again, I doubt that we have to think about that too long. Usually there are things that spring quickly to mind, but what makes you angry? I love watching professional tennis when I'm able, and a few weeks ago I was watching the US Open. One of the players was having a great run in the tournament. He made it all the way to the quarterfinals. However, he lost in the quarterfinals, and to say he was not happy with his play in that match would be an understatement. He broke not one, but multiple tennis rackets in a very emotional tirade. He was angry. Recently, I was chatting with a cousin of mine whose mom used to be a teacher. We were recalling stories of how her mom, the teacher, at times would get so angry, particularly if a student disrespected her, that the veins would begin to pop out on her throat, really like pop out on her throat, and you could see them. And so one vein popping out on the throat meant be careful. Two veins popping out on the throat meant you better watch out. And three veins popping out on the neck meant you better take cover because things are going to get ugly. Nothing, as I said, upset her more than being disrespected as a teacher by a student who said insensitive things. When she was disrespected, she became angry. In my office sits this sign, which you can see. Uh, it says hangry, <laughs> which the definition is anger fueled by hunger, a cranky state resulting from a lack of food, especially sweet things. Uh, that one I think is pretty self-explanatory. Maybe you can relate to that. My family would tell you that this definitely applies to me when I get too hungry. And again, maybe it relates to you as well. I bring all this up because we are in a sermon series about wisdom. And we have been exploring wisdom from a variety of angles the last number of weeks. And the definition we have been using is this. Wisdom is the ongoing application of God's truth and knowledge to our circumstances. Perhaps one of the ways we most need a sense of wisdom in our world today is around this issue of anger. There is so much anger in the world. We can all relate in so many ways to the issue of anger. And one of the realities of anger is this, anger leads to destruction. If ever there was a place to apply God's truth and God's knowledge in order to spare our world of some of that destruction, it's around this issue of anger. To have a heart that discerns means we have to know how to deal with anger, both in ourselves and with others. And I share this because anger, when left unchecked, is dangerous. 
anger left unchecked becomes destructive. And anger unchecked can become explosive, almost a literal dynamite of the soul. Anger destroys things. It destroys us. It destroys community. It destroys elements that are important to us. Uh, look with me for a moment. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. Look at the harm that happens to the body because of anger. We are told in the message version of Proverbs 14, 30, a, soul, a sound mind makes for a robust body, but runaway emotions corrode the bones. Anger is a runaway emotion, so it corrodes the bones. There's much research out there that shows anger is actually harder on our hearts than anxiety or sorrow or envy or even extreme physical exertion. Uh, there was a study done back in 2015 on the ways that anger ruins our health. So anger puts our hearts at risk. Specifically, the two hours after you've had an angry outburst, your chances of having a heart attack double. Also, in the two hours after having an angry outburst, you are three times more likely to have a stroke. At the same time, anger weakens the immune system. Anger makes anxiety worse. Anger is linked to depression. It's a magnifier, actually, of depression. Anger can even hurt your lungs. It's believed that the hormones related to the feelings of anger create inflammation in the airways, which literally make it harder to breathe. And anger on a repeated basis actually can shorten your life. Again, studies have been done that show that those who engage in anger frequently do not live as long as those who do not. There's actually a part of me that wonders in my own life for my grandfather, he was a wonderful man in many ways. He had many wonderful traits, but he was also an angry man. He died way earlier than my grandmother, who's still living, and she's now outlived him by over 30 years. He was only 15 when I passed away. It's not just our bodies that anger destroys then. Anger can also destroy community. Proverbs 15 verse 8 says this, A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. When we get angry, we throw words around like weapons. And those words that we throw around like weapons have an amazing amount of damaging power. They wound relationships. We can't take those words back. And when we look in our world, we see anger and destructive words being shared all over the place and breaking down community at so many levels. So we start to understand anger can destroy community, anger can destroy our own health, and anger can also ruin our ability to make wise choices. Look what it says in Proverbs 14 verse 29. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Have you ever noticed that when you lash out in anger, but then after you have a chance to cool down, doesn't it look and don't you feel like a fool when you look back on what you just did or said in your anger? Do you know why that is that when we cool down, we feel like a fool? Because we were a fool almost always in our extreme anger in what we said or what we did. You can't tell me that that tennis player I referenced just a few moments ago uh, at the U.S. Open, that he woke up the next day, and when he had cooled off and was no longer so angry, that he looked back on the day before and said, 
That was awesome that I broke those tennis rackets. I'm so glad I destroyed them. That certainly made everything better in my anger to destroy those tennis rackets. It's hard to believe he would have said that <laughs> because he no longer was in the heat of the moment and looking back probably even felt a little or a lot foolish. Anger has a weird power. It distorts our view of everything. We can't see clearly. We, we can't think clearly. Anger can distort then our ability to make wise decisions. Tim Keller makes this argument. He says, of all the emotions, anger is the most like an addictive substance, mainly because it leads to denial. Think for just a moment in our own lives. In general, we can admit when we're worried or anxious about something. We can admit when we're sad or filled with sorrow about something. We can admit those types of things. But that's not often the case with anger. Anger itself easily leads to denial. And we do this in all kinds of ways. To cover over our anger, we say things like, well, hey, I'm just sticking up for myself as if I'm entitled to this. Or we say something like, I'm just a direct speaker and however they receive it, that's on them. Maybe we even say, you're being overly sensitive. I'm not angry the way that you think I am. Maybe you say something like, I'm just somebody who is willing to rock the boat and say what needs to be said. Or I just tell it like it is. Or I just have to get this off my chest. I just have to be me. Over and over, we tend to justify in a way that covers over our anger, which then lets it be continued and perpetuated. But anger, when it's left unchecked, if we continue to deny it over and over, becomes quite dangerous and destructive to our own bodies and to the communities that we're in and the point of helping us not be able to make wise decisions. Now, having pointed out some of the negative elements of anger and how it can be destructive, we have to also understand this. Anger is not all bad. In fact, anger can be good. Anger even has some positive things. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 16:32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit then than he who takes a city. Now notice it did not say no anger. It did not say blow up anger. It talked about a controlled anger, one who is slow to anger. And controlled anger is the ideal. Controlled anger is, what, anger is what we find in the Bible. Controlled anger is a controlled anger in which it's okay to become angry slowly. It's okay to not remain silent in the face of injustice. So Ephesians 4.26 literally says, be angry and do not sin. Now notice again, it does not say do not be become angry. It says, be angry, but don't sin in the process. In other words, you're going to be angry at times. That's okay. It's, it's even expected to some degree. John Chrysostom was an early Christian preacher, and he once summarized the biblical understanding of anger this way. He said, he that is angry without cause sins, but he who is not angry when there is cause also sins. Now, this is, this is weird. Again, it's not no anger, and it's not explosive blow-up anger. It is controlled anger. And this is what we hear in places like Psalm 103, verse 8, and Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and 
gracious, and then what? Slow to anger. See, God gets angry, but it's controlled, it's, it's slow. Why is this? Because if we never get angry about anything, then really we do not love anything. We're not filled with love if we never get angry about something. So for example, you've probably seen this. You sometimes see those very, most of the time, gentle moms who literally turn into mama bears if their kids become threatened. They get angry <laughs> if their kids are messed with or are hurt in some way. They demonstrate a profound, controlled anger. They only attack if they need to, to protect their loved ones. So to be totally indifferent means we do not love. If we are indifferent when one that we love is threatened, we don't really love them. And that's why we realize anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is not really the opposite of love. Indifference is the opposite of love. So if we as human beings get angry, when our own children or ones that we love get threatened or hurt, how much more angry for a holy and righteous and perfect God when God's children get threatened or hurt in some way? So we see sometimes anger, it's bad. And sometimes anger is good, which then should start to lead us to some obvious questions. How then do we know when the anger is good or the anger is bad? And how then do we live with an appropriate sense of anger? Well, here are two questions I wanna lift up for us today that really help act as a guide to help us deal with our anger with a greater sense of wisdom. And here are the two questions that I just wanna invite us to start to ask ourselves in the face of anger. Number one, what's the core motivation of my anger? And number two, what's the proportion of my anger? These questions, again, are key in dealing with anger with wisdom. So first, what's my core motivation? If the core motivation is centered primarily on me, my wants, my desires, most likely the anger that results will not be good or used for good purposes. So think for just a moment, I'm in traffic and I get cut off and I get enraged. Who is it that's been offended? Me. I'm the one that's angry because I perceive I've been the one that's been slighted. So when someone doesn't do something that I want or does something that I want done as quickly as possible and I get angry, chances are the results of the anger will not be good. Uh, when somebody with different political views than me and their view conflicts with mine, it's easy to get angry at them because again, I feel like I've been slated. And most often that kind of anger is going to lead to a lashing out, which is not good. Consider this, for example, let's say that I'm running late and I get to a restaurant and I've only got 20 minutes to eat, but the waitress is particularly slow and I get mad at that waitress. Who is it that I'm really defending? Who is it that I'm seeking to protect? It's me. I was the one that didn't plan enough time or margin to eat. I'm the one that's going to be late and look foolish if I don't get out of there on time. But in order to make myself feel better, I look down on that waitress who I want to blame for being slow, even though I was the one that didn't leave enough time and know that I'm the one that's gonna be looked down upon because I'm running late. And so the anger is motivated by my own desire to protect myself. So think for a moment, what most angers you? 
And then ask yourself, what is it you're seeking to defend with your anger? Whatever the answer is to those questions of who we want to defend in our anger is, that's most likely what we love the most, and that's what motivates us the most. And when the motivation is about protecting my power, my ego, my selfish desires, it's so often not going to lead to good things. In the Bible, you know when God gets angry? When we do something we should not do because God knows it's not our best. God wants our best. So when Jesus gets angry at the money changers in Matthew 21, he's angry in part because Jesus sees us giving more love and allegiance to money and to business than to God Almighty. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus gets angry at the religious leaders because they would rather follow the rules than to help those in need of healing. In Jeremiah eleven seventeen, we hear the Lord Almighty who planted you has decreed disaster for you because the people of both Israel and Judah have done evil and aroused my anger, says the Lord, by burning incense to Baal. Why is God angry? Because the people are choosing evil over God. They're choosing a lesser idol over the one who truly loves them. God's heart is breaking over injustice and complacency to evil and to a blind eye to corruption and greed, and God's not okay with it. God's anger is aroused by it, and God will not sit silent while the evil occurs. Think for a moment of a mother or a father who's lost their child to something like alcohol or drugs or violence or cancer. It's not just grief and sadness they feel, it's also anger. Anger at something that has hurt and taken away their child, and they're not okay with it. That's how God feels about the things that take us as God's children away from God. Notice then the anger is motivated out of love for others a desire for them for what is best and what is good, not by our own personal desires and wants. However, when it's the greed for ourselves, when it's those personal desires for ourselves that drive the anger, chances are the anger that will result will be bad and destructive in some regard. So what is your motivation for your anger? If us getting cut off in traffic makes us more angry, then thousands in our world going hungry or dying and millions struggling with poverty and systems that keep people oppressed and foster injustice, then something is seriously wrong and our anger has become a disordered anger. Because it ultimately means that we're loving ourselves more than God and others. So what's the motivation of your anger? Second, what is the proportion of the anger? Anger gets distorted when it goes way over the top, when it controls us instead of us doing the controlling. Controlled anger seeks to always do a surgical strike on evil. If we really love our teenagers, when they're being idiotic in some regard, we wanna destroy the idiocy, not the child. But in disordered anger, we don't just want a surgical fixing, we want vengeance. So we go in and we slash and burn and destroy. This is why people in a fit of rage lose control. They lose proportion. The, the anger has overwhelmed them. And so they do awful and destructive things. 
we see a powerful contrast of how to handle anger in the Old Testament. If you get a chance, I want to invite you to look at 1 Samuel chapter 20 and 1 Samuel chapter 26. And in general, what you will hear there is the story of King Saul and the story of the future King David. You'll remember that there were three kings who ruled the united Israelite kingdom in the Old Testament. That was Saul, then David, then Solomon. For Saul, as the first king, everything started off well. He was chosen by God to become Israel's king. But over time, Saul began to become paranoid. He increasingly looked to hold on to his power, and he became angry at any potential threat to that power. He became consumed by his own ego, his own power, and his own selfish desires. So as young David begins to come on the scene, Saul increasingly looked at David as a threat. And he was so jealous of David's growing success that the jealousy drove him to anger. If anyone should have been angry at David, it should have been Saul's son, Jonathan, who would have been next in line for the throne. But Jonathan became good friends with David. That enraged Saul all the more. Saul became so angry, he literally organized a hunting party to track David down and kill him. And for Saul, it wasn't even enough to send out the soldiers against David. Saul insisted on going with the killing squad himself so he could see David die firsthand. So imagine David is on the run, he's fleeing for his life, his entire life has been turned upside down through no fault of his own. How would you have felt if you were in David's shoes towards Saul? I know how I would have felt. I would have been so angry, so enraged to have to run for my life and live in fear all the time. But for David, not once, but twice, through an ironic twist of circumstances, when David easily could have taken Saul's life, eliminated the threat to his life, got rid of this source of anger in his life, David chose not to do it. After one particular encounter where David could have easily gotten Saul's life gone, I mean, could have taken it, could have murdered Saul easily because of the circumstances that happened, listen to what David's response was instead in 1 Samuel. Here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, may you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. Compare the angers. For Saul, the anger was bad. Why? What was his core motivation? Himself, his jealousy, his losing power, his comfort. It was all about him. And what was the proportion of Saul's anger? It consumed him, causing him to pursue David in endless jealousy. It even caused him to try to kill his own son, Jonathan, at one point for supporting David. Saul's no longer thinking clearly because of the disproportionate anger going on in his life. Compare that to David. What was David's core motivation? To honor Saul, to honor the kingdom of God. His motivation was not about himself. And what was the proportion of anger in David's life? No doubt David had that anger against Saul. But when he had the opportunity to take Saul's life into his own hands, he spared it. Why? Because his proportion of his anger 
was controlled. He was in control of the anger. And despite the injustice that David was facing, he chose to absorb the injustice rather than to perpetuate it. David put into practice Proverbs 20, Do not say, I'll pay you back for the wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. In time, David was avenged. Eventually, David became king. For 40 years, David was king. David also put these words into practice in Proverbs 15.1, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We just heard that in response to David's graciousness towards Saul, his gentle answer, that Saul went back home in response to David's gentle interaction with him. He smoothed it out, David did, by offering the gentle response. And in Proverbs 15, 21 to 22, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. David did this with Saul. In this case, David's enemy was angry and David spared his life and gave a kind answer to Saul. And it caused Saul's anger to turn away and Saul went home. This is wise anger. This is controlled anger, and it offers healing rather than destruction. Think of it this way for just a moment. For those who choose marriage and family in their lives, the real change happens in their lives, not when they get married, but when the kids come along. Until the kids come along as a married couple, it's really, it's a long date. So I want to encourage you to enjoy that. But when the kids come, as awesome as they are, there is tremendous sacrifice and change that must happen. So imagine that you have a child and they start to grow and let's say that they're you know, four years old. Now imagine that something happens to that cute four-year-old that somehow you cross their will and that child turns on you and just snaps and says something like, you don't love me, you hate me, you've never done anything for me. Now when that happens for a parent, that is so incredibly painful. They realize nothing of the tremendous sacrifice that you as the parent have done on their behalf. And at that point, as the parent, in response with anger, you have one of three choices. One, you can totally withdraw in your anger because it just hurts too much, but then nothing gets resolved. Two, you can actually go in, you know, kind of guns a-blazing, as it were, towards that child and say harsh words against that child and you know, yell at them or scream at them. And since you have 30 years of experience on your side, you're probably going to win, but you might end up losing in the moment because of what you say and all of the harshness and all of the anger and all of your coldness. And so you go in with this slash and burn attitude and it might destroy some of the relationship you have with that child. But there is a third option with the anger, and that is to do that surgical strike to offer hope for healing. And the way to target the problem means you don't target the person, you go in motivated out of love for that child, not anger at the child, but motivated for love for the child in a controlled anger and insist on the truth with that child that you can share the reality, the truth that they were not getting. And when we do that in a controlled way, we can literally then absorb the anger and offer correction without having to pay back in disproportionate anger. And thus, there's a surgical strike where the wrongness is dealt with, but the relationship with the child remains. 
In this way, even in our anger, we absorb the wrongdoing, even as we seek to fix that which has been broken. This is how a loving parent treats their child. And this is how our Heavenly Father treats His children. In our anger, we children, we human beings lashed out at God, lashed out at the Son of God. We became enraged and we killed Him and we hung Jesus on a cross to die. And what did God do with us? He didn't simply turn a blind eye to us and ignore us forever and let us do our own thing forever. Nor did God come full on and blast us all away, even though God could have easily done that. Instead, God did a surgical strike on evil. In God's holy, controlled anger, God destroyed the sin and evil in our world on the cross. But God did not destroy us as God's children. And despite the injustice done to him, God absorbed the anger, even though he didn't deserve it. God, motivated by love for us with a right proportion of anger, both avenged evil and saved us in the process. And when you and I do that with our anger as well, we can simultaneously love those who have hurt us and eliminate the evil or the injustice at the same time. When we just return anger for anger out of our own motivations and out of our own control, we just keep allowing the anger to bounce from one person to the next, to the next, to the next. But when in wisdom we're properly motivated and in control, we can absorb the anger like Christ so that it ceases to be and it's gone so that there can be healing in the world. Today, who are you angry with? Where are you struggling with anger? Where do you need guidance and wisdom in that anger? Today, may God give us wisdom in our anger that we might be a people of slow anger, righteous anger, holy anger, for the healing of our world. Thanks be to God.